we finished talking about the plagues and the things they share in common, the things that make them unique, and the Passover that was taking place in the middle of it, we can now talk about the result of those plagues, which was, of course, the Exodus, when God led his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And as I was looking through these next couple of chapters in Exodus, I realized that there's a lot that we can take from this in regards to how God leads people. So let's begin by reading in Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 31. This is right after the 10th plague, where God killed every firstborn child, every firstborn son of any family that did not heed God's warning of sacrificing the lamb and putting the blood on the door frames. And verse 31 says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders into kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Now when I was reading through that, I realized something I'd never really caught before. When the Egyptians are letting the Israelites take all of their silver and gold, I always kind of latched on to the part where they're saying, you know, if we don't let them leave, we're going to die. And kind of the fear that came from that. So when the Israelites did ask for all of these different things from the Egyptians, I figured that the Egyptians were giving them to the Israelites out of that same fear. That, oh no, we don't know what they're going to do to us if we tell them no. We don't know what their God will do to us if they if we tell them no. So we better give them everything we have uh, so nothing bad happens to us. And that's what I thought happened. But when I read through this again, I I caught a phrase there that I hadn't seen before, which was that the Egyptians were favorably disposed toward the people. And that's why they gave them what they asked for. And so it wasn't out of a fear of the Israelites, but rather out of favor that they had for the Israelites. And we can also kind of see that same disposition in Pharaoh as he's sending Moses and Aaron away, where before he leaves, he asks them to bless him. And so, in both Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptians, we see this weird shift taking place where they are recognizing the authority that God has and that they view God's people in a favorable way. And so really it's at the end of the plagues during this time that the Egyptians are closer to God than they've ever been before because they are honoring his people and they are requesting his prophets for a blessing. 
And this is incredible to me because what that means was that that God was leading those unbelievers to him through the conflict that happened of the plagues. It was through that conflict that these he was actually leading Pharaoh and the Israelites to an understanding of who God is and his authority and recognizing the Israelites as his people. The closest to God they've ever been right after, right at the end of all of this conflict. And I think sometimes we forget about how life-changing the power and authority of God really is. And it really pains me to see some churches and some pastors think that they have to take the authority of God and somehow make it more like the rest of the world in order to draw people in, and and that's how we'll get them to come to Christ, is the more that we can water this down, the more palatable we can make this for other people so that we're only being loving and, and not stirring up any conflict, then we will be making disciples. And there are some people that think that way, but that's not at all what Scripture shows us. Because this is an example where it wasn't the love of God, but the fear and recognition of his authority that brought them to this place. And I think too often, believers are too busy trying to make themselves fit in with other unbelievers, that by the time those believers are sharing the gospel to the unbelievers, that it no longer has any meaning, it no longer has any power, because there is no distinction between the believer's life and the unbeliever's. And when there's no distinction between those who believe in God and those who don't believe in God, when there's no distinction there, then really there can be no conversion that takes place either. Because if they're exactly the same, how are you going to convert from one thing to another? There's no distinction. It's exactly the same. But when there is that distinction, then we can see a visible shift take place. Right? It's just like the old analogy that oil and water don't mix. If you try pouring oil into a glass of water, it's going to rest at the top. And it's easy to look at water that has had oil poured into it and recognize where the water stops and where the oil begins. And if any of that water was to become oil, we would be able to visibly see that shift happen because of how different those two things are. You would not be able to see that same kind of difference if you were pouring sugar into the water instead of oil. Because that sugar is going to mix in with the water until really you can't tell where the water stops and the sugar begins because it's combined into a brand new thing that is indistinguishable from one another. And I think too often we've tried to make our faith like sugar, pouring into the glass of water that is the world, and say the more we can make this palatable, the the more we can kind of blend in with the rest of the world, the better we'll be able to make disciples. 
But in doing that, we lose so much of the substance of the gospel of God. And it was when God was standing up for his people, the Israelites, and bringing the full force of his justice against them, that they then began to recognize who he is. And we begin to see a shift in their hearts taking place at the end of the plagues. And this is kind of an encouraging message for me to know that we can still win over the world while still taking a stand against it. That we don't have to water down the word of God or turn a blind eye to the morals and truths found in God's word in order to make disciples. We still want to be loving, just as God was loving, just as Jesus sacrificed himself out of love for the world. We still want to have that love with us, but we don't have to dilute the message. We don't have to accept things that the world teaches that goes against God's word. We can make a strong stand against the world's teaching, a strong stand on the word of God that even produces conflict. And that can still lead to unbelievers realizing that what we have, there's something different about it than what they have. And as they look at our life and what God is doing in our lives because of that difference, then a shift begins to take place. God led unbelievers to him through conflict, and we can do the same too. So then the Israelites come out of Egypt, and we're all pretty familiar with where they end up at the Red Sea, But I noticed, again, something else in this passage that I hadn't noticed before, and it's in Exodus chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 17. It says, "When When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. This kind of caught me off guard because I realized that God leading the Israelite people to the Red Sea was not his original plan. God wanted to lead them instead through Philistine country, because it was shorter. But he recognized that their willpower was so low that if they encountered the Philistines in battle, and it doesn't even say that any of them would die in that battle. It just says they would face that battle, they would face that war, and when they did, they would probably get discouraged and go back to Egypt. And because God saw that weakness in them, He instead led them to the Red Sea so that he could then split the waters for them to cross. 
but it was never his original plan to take them to the Red Sea. He did that because of their imperfection and weakness. And God didn't stop leading them because of that. He simply led them down a different path, more suited to them personally. And there is reassurance that we can take from that too. That God will still lead us even in the midst of our imperfection. That we don't have to be perfect in order to be led by God. God will lead us regardless of where we are, and he will recognize the weaknesses we have. He understands the imperfections that we have, and he will lead us down the best path for us in order to get us where we need to be. Now, that doesn't mean that he says we don't have to still improve ourselves. We still need to be molded by God into who he wants us to be and and find God's will for our life so that we can walk in accordance with that. But God isn't going to wait for us to get to that point before he will begin leading us. He looks at where we're at, and although still calling us to change, he leads us where we're at in the condition we're in to where we need to go. And he doesn't wait for us to become perfect before he begins that process. Let's say something terrible happened to you. Let's say you had a stroke, and for a while you were stuck in a wheelchair. And the problem is you've got steps leading up to your house. Well, it's not going to be very easy for you to get up to the house now that you're in the wheelchair. And so one person might say, well, you can get into the house once you're once you recover your legs, and once you're walking again, once you've recovered from this stroke, and you're walking, then you can go up into your house again. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? Somebody who is helpful, what, what will they do? They'll get a ramp and put it down over the stairs to push you up that ramp into the house. And someone who is absolutely doing the right thing, will give you that ramp and still encourage you to practice walking so that you won't need it anymore. And that's what God does for us. He doesn't lead us down a path that's too hard for us. He doesn't take us to the stairs and say, good luck. You got to figure this out sometime. But he also doesn't just leave the ramp there for us to use forever. He doesn't coddle us like that. He helps us where we're at, in the condition we're in, while still calling us to better change. And all he asks that we do in the meantime, as he's working that process in us, all he asks is that we continue to follow where he leads us. It's the obedience that is important, not the state of perfection. God wants to lead us in the midst of our imperfection. And so what we need to focus on is not becoming perfect, although that is something we continue to still work on. That's not what our focus should be on. 
our focus should be on obedience. Focused on leading, on following where God is leading us. Because he will lead us in accordance with where we're at. Just like he did with the Israelites. He knew what was best for them to take them through the Philistines. And we know that eventually they did face the Philistines. But they weren't ready for it yet. And so until then, he led them to the Red Sea. And he didn't leave them to find that themselves. He guided them there. If we go down to verse 21 in Exodus 13, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud, to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God didn't make them find the Red Sea by themselves. He led them. And he led them in a cloud by day, and a fire by night. He led them in both of those different ways. A cloud at night probably wouldn't have been very helpful, so God gave them the fire by night. And a fire probably would have been tougher to see during the day, so he gave them the cloud by day. And so what we see happening here is God consistently leading the Israelites, but leading them in different ways for different situations. That when it was the day, he led them in the best way to lead them by day. And when it was the night, he led them by the best way to lead them at night. God leads us in different ways for different situations. Because not every situation is the same. The situation around us isn't the same, and usually we're not the same person as we used to be. And so God will find the best way to lead us, depending on where we're at and where he's trying to get us to. But that means that we need to be aware that the ways that God leads us will not always be the same way as it used to be. Now, there is still a boundary that God operates in. For instance, he's never going to lead us in any direction that goes against what his word teaches. God cannot contradict himself. He will also never lead us in any way that goes against his very nature. So there are certain boundaries that God still operates in, and he continues to lead us in those boundaries. But the ways that he leads us, the methods he uses, is oftentimes different than it was the time before. Because every situation is different and needs to be addressed differently. And so God will lead us, he'll communicate with us in the way that's best for this time. And that's the same way that we communicate with anybody, with everyone else in our life, we don't always communicate the same way every time. 
The way you talk to somebody in a business setting is different than you talk to somebody in a casual setting. And even then, the methods that we use can be different all the time. Sometimes it's better to send out an email to a bunch of people than it is to call them to gather in a room to have a meeting. Sometimes the email is the better response. And sometimes gathering and sitting in the meeting is a much better method of communicating than just sending out an email. Sometimes a text is better. Sometimes it's better to call than send a text. Sometimes it's better to get on Zoom or Skype or some kind of webcam chat and and talk to each other through that. Other times it's better to send a physical letter. See, depending on what the situation is, what we're trying to get across, who we're communicating to, we communicate to each other in different ways every time. Sometimes we leave a note, sometimes we give a hug. God communicates so many different things to us and wants to lead us down his right paths for our lives. And the way that is best for him to do that changes depending on what situation we're in. And so we need to be aware of that and always be watching for new ways that God is trying to lead us. To never assume, well, he spoke to me this way once, so the next time will be just like that. And and if I think I'm hearing something that doesn't come to me in that same way that it did before, then I'm just going to dismiss it because I know that this is how God speaks to me. And when you do that, you limit God's means of communicating with you. It would be like if I said, well, my wife texted me before, so I'm just going to wait until I get another text from her, and it doesn't matter if she tries to tell me something in person, that's not important because I'm waiting for that text. It's, it's silly, and yet that's what we do with God. And we close off our ears and our hearts to how God is trying to communicate with us now and how he's trying to lead us and say, well, that can't be God because that's different than last time. God on this one journey led the Israelites in two different ways, back and forth, the cloud and the fire and the cloud and the fire. In this one instance, he used two methods. In your whole life, you think he's going to use the same method with you every time? God is far more creative than that. But we have to be, we have to be paying attention. We have to keep our ears open, our eyes open, our hearts open. Remaining sensitive to where God is trying to speak to us from. Always watching for new ways that God is trying to lead us. God led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he continues to lead us today. He leads us against the patterns of this world in new ways as we remain obedient to him. We remain obedient 
He guides us in new and fresh ways to best fit our situation and leads us against the pattern that this world has. It's different, it's better, it's good. And when I think about God leading me down a path of righteousness that goes against what the world teaches, I think of the verse in Romans 12 too, and I'll end with this. Romans 12 too says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remain sensitive to where God is trying to speak to you from. Let him lead you down those paths and be willing to obey to follow where he is leading you. It's a transformation that will change your life. And this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I also encourage you to share this message with other people to help get the gospel out there. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day, and I thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.